Hey, Stephen. Hey, I just want to thank you for making it a very easy decision what to put as the opening <laughs> for this episode. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> that decision is made. It's perfect. Uh, How you doing, Nate? I am great. I'm just settling in, getting comfortable mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. with this microphone, leaning back in my chair. Mm. Yep. I'm leaning back, too. Look at that. Um, Put another log in the campfire. W- right. <laughs> Poking it a little bit, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I'm excited that we got to Mission Impossible this quickly in our uh, podcasting career. Yeah. Is it? I feel like in some ways it feels too soon to be able to enjoy such a franchise and doing a podcast about it. Like, have we earned it? it's a valid question but i feel like i mean we're going to be doing this till 2049 uh because that's our expiration date but yep yep best buy date (laughs) you know which uh, let me come back to that but i think doing it this early is good because we will revisit this in the coming decades as uh, tom hanks will never die because of scientology and so we'll have lots of mission impossible movies uh to review Wait, future. and and when you say Tom Hanks will never die. Um, I did not say I, Tom Hanks. I said Tom Cruise. You know what? Didn't I'm I? I'm so glad you recorded this because it will be on. You have oh, evidence. Goodness. Like People will be listening to this and go, oh, silly, Stephen. Man, I really, <laughs> that humility pie is going to taste great. I'm going to cut all this out. <laughs> so I yes, recently, Tom Cruise uh, will never die. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. I mean, he could survive on an island for a while, but but Tom Hanks is, is actually starting to look old. Tom Cruise right. has been frozen. Now, I will say in prepar- in preparation for this episode, uh, you know, I watched a couple scenes from the original Mission mm-hmm. Impossible. <laughs> Let Same. me just say, I mean, he looks great for whatever age he's at, which I'm gonna have to look up in a second. But he looked like a child in that first Mission Impossible. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a long time. Well, ago. it was twenty two years ago. Mm. Oh, that's hurts to to know. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just painful. Because you put it in the yeah the context of your own life, and you go, wow. Yeah. Now, uh, we started this last episode, and I don't know if you want to continue it, but kind of give people a rundown of uh, what we're doing today so they can prepare. I love it. It's like syllabus day, except for one minute at the beginning of the episode. I like it. Yeah. Very good. So, I mean, basically, we're uh, we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. But before you turn this podcast off, because you're afraid of spoilers, we're going to be strategic here. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about food. We're going to talk about some shoes that Nate sent me a picture of. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to talk about the new Mission Impossible movie in a spoiler-free way for as long as possible. Then we're going to do our top five Mission Impossible movies. Then we will spoil all the fallouts. But um, we will actually... Typically, yeah. we don't let you know in a, the kind of manner that you would actually be able to stop. But we will actually give you time to say, nope, I don't want any mm-hmm. spoilers. So we're actually going to be good this episode. And and I will um, play some obnoxious sound effect to let everyone know the spoilers are coming. Yes. Uh, maybe I'll just play what I'm about to do now, which is, spoilers are coming! Spoilers are coming! <laughs> and um, I'll use that as the sound effect. All right, perfect. So, yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, Tom Cruise is 56 years old. Wow. 
I think I think we have a good fourteen years. I think by the time he hits seventy, they're gonna have to make yep. a movie where he like passes the torch. You know, because right. here's the because here's the thing with the 007 series, which I'm also a fan of. They never pass the torch, really. They just kind of make a new movie with a different Bond, right? And that that's it. You know, and like everyone's Batman, just like Batman. James Bond is more of a, a symbol, but mm, Ethan Hunt yes. is Tom Cruise, correct? And so, which we can get into this when we go to our top fives, but uh, in which one was it? Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol. Yes. And Jeremy Renner is in there trying to be like a pseudo Tom Cruise. And let me just say, he will not be the one taking the torch. Right. He was like, a, it was like a, um, here's what I picture it like. Tom Cruise running in the typical Tom Cruise fashion with the yes. baton. And <laughs> right. he holds it out towards Jeremy Renner to pass it. But they gave us a whole movie of him just holding out the baton and then they both look over from the race to the crowd and go, are you entertained? Does this seem like a good idea? And then all audiences were like, nah. So Tom Cruise went psych and he just ran past Jeremy Renner. He said, JK, uh, you stick to the Avengers stuff and uh, I'll take it from here. They also tried to do that with the Jason Bourne series and Jeremy Renner. Oh, that's true. And Man, then they're Jeremy like, no, Renner. actually, Matt Damon, we'll stay with you. <laughs> and I like Jeremy Renner. I think he's cool as um, Hawkeye. Yeah, he know? just never gets past a franchise. Mm. Well, anyway. Uh, so a couple things first. Yeah, let's do it. Housekeeping. I created a Twitter account. I don't even know if I told you. <laughs> I followed you as it. And I, think I you saw it, it all of a sudden. I saw, yeah, the Exchange Podcast liked a tweet of mine. <laughs> so I did this. Who, uh, who is this? I had this for, which I should send you the password. <laughs> but uh, I did this because we're, we're gaining fans here, which is very exciting. And uh, I wanted a place that people could uh, tag and, and me- at mention on Twitter specifically. Uh, all of their mayonnaise comments and top fives, which people actually started doing, which is very exciting. Thank you. Hooray. Uh, but you can follow at exchange movies and uh, tweet at us there. And I'm going to make it automated. So whenever there's a new episode, it kind of auto tweets it out. And I think I'll maybe tweet some of the show note links uh, that we share from nice. the account as well. And uh, so that would be a good idea. And, and that uh, way you don't have to spell our last names and try to yes, figure yes. out how to spell Stephen, <laughs> Stefan. Baranowski. Yeah. Enjoy uh, that. Is, that a, is it a Y? Is it an I? <laughs> is right. it a silent G? So, uh, yeah, go follow at Exchange Movies on Twitter. And uh, I didn't create an Instagram or Facebook because, um, I don't know, Facebook's terrible. Because we're still so, figuring this whole thing out. That's right. That's right. We're, we're on episode we're gra- 16, and uh, yes. we're still it's working out the kinks. Yep. It's a grassroots uh, kind of production here. So, I love uh, when people use grassroots for things. It's just like the <laughs> the, the catch-all <laughs> term for like, oh, know. yeah, oh, yeah. Anything we're like, that's starting. Yeah, pounding the pavement, and we're just figuring it out. It's a real pounding grassroots the, movement. What What is pounding the pavement? I wonder where that comes from. I mean. Like, marches? I think of the newsies. Marty, yeah, yeah. Oh, newsy could be newsy based. Yeah, maybe like you're trying to get the word out, and so you're pounding the pavement, running around, handing out flyers. 
You know what? I would guess at some point in time. Here's my uh, my wiki how my my <laughs> yeah my answer Your is wiki this. Nate. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to guess that at some point in time in the Industrial Revolution time, mm. pounding the pavement involved during worker strikes that they would have these loud mm. uh, sticks that they would bang. <laughs> against the ground and they did it against cobblestone so it really rang out and that was mm-hmm. to let people know that they were striking how's that for a balderdash answer i love that <laughs> i love that and i feel like maybe we should have a new segment on this show you know we have our top five <laughs> we have our condiment corner and uh, we have our traveling stuff i think wiki nate <laughs> should be a new segment <laughs> where just it creates rubbish we if we come across a, a saying that we don't know where it originated or or we don't know the meaning of a word that you just wax poetically for a couple minutes and just totally make something up yeah perfect okay so two things uh, that i have and that if you have any more uh, you sent me a picture of your shoes which you got a pair of allbirds yes i'm what living post allbird life <laughs> what are your impressions very comfortable really very nice they Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their um, profile is rather low so i don't know how how tall your feet is i had a moment of thinking like are these going to stay on my feet because they feel like very low on the ankle interesting but but very yes very comfortable comfortable. Mm -hmm. i wore them for the first time last night Mm-hmm, uh, just mm-hmm. hung out in them, and they were great. I'm a little worried. I have wide feet, so um, I'm h- hoping that over time I don't my pinky doesn't bust through the side. <laughs> if it's not too personal, may I ask what size <laughs> shoe you wear? Uh, I wear a 13, unless wow. I'm wearing Nikes, in which case I I club up to a 14. So is that is that a general rule or understanding that if you get a Nike shoe you should get it a little bit? I, sized yeah, I up? believe Nikes run small. Is my what I've always thought. But I've always wondered. I haven't yeah. had a, actually haven't had a Nike shoe in about f- five years. So they that could be different now. Mm-hmm. Yes, and as it was previously stated, I have dad shoes, so I neither have uh, I don't have any Nikes. Right, but those Allbirds look nice. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. So, do you, did you? Are you using them for running? No, no. I have committed to taking <laughs> okay. good care of these shoes. They're going to be my fashion shoes. They're going to be my, you know, walk around my wife's college campus, going to the mm. Starbucks shoes. Mm. Yes, uh, yes, yes, pair yes. with a nice jean for game night kind of shoe. <laughs> game night. You guys do a regular game night. Uh, we don't do a regular game night, which oh, okay. uh, my goal in life, one yes. of my goals, not my only goal, sure, is sure. to have a standing game night or some sort of thing. Like when mm-hmm. I hear about old people playing bridge yes. routinely, I think yes. you figured out the secret of life. I know. I like this idea. I always love the idea of a game night and it just seems so hard to get it together, but I feel like it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, when uh get together and play games routinely, I find it delightful. I'm like, yes, yes. I should do this yes. once a week because I love it every time. Right, right. 
Okay, so my my final uh, segment of follow up <laughs> to ten minutes ago in our conversation, mm-hmm. you said our best buy or uh, is it best buy date? Yeah, best buy date. That's when we'll uh, expire as people. But I, I read an article about this. I think it was on TheVerge.com. It's a website uh, that America is just terrible at labeling food dates because we have sell by, best buy, mm-hmm. expires. And all those different uh, mean different things, and then you know, it's, it's hard to find those dates uh, to begin with, and a lot of times those dates are kind of arbitrary. So I, we went to uh, as a my works staff, we went to a, a food bank like warehouse to mm-hmm. sort some food, right? And they were like, yeah, anything within six months of that date. These were. Like of a Best Buy date or like an that. expiration date, because those mean very different things to me. So we were all, we were dealing with all like boxed goods, like cereals and oh, granola yeah, bars yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so they were like, "Listen, six months is fine." Yeah, like, food so banks don't care about expiration dates. Yeah, well, and they said like I've, I've worked at a couple before. Okay, yeah, and so and, and now this is, now this is something you can tell me how you were growing up when I was growing up. If anything was even near the date printed, regardless of whether it was sell by, best buy, didn't matter. If it was close to that date, we chucked it. We did not consume it. Oh wow! And then, and then when I got married, my wife's family has a very different perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, I, we would have a, whatever a loaf of bread, and it'd be like five days past the date. And I'd be like, we got to throw this out. And my wife would be, well, do you see mold on it? And I said, well, no, but. It's past the date. So, well, you know things go bad because you see mold, like on cheese or on bread or something. Right. And so it's fine. And I was appalled, uh, just totally flabbergasted at this uh, prospect. And so how was it in your home? I believe we had a very, uh, I think it's very different dairies versus other foods. Things and like cereal, too. for example, like things like really processed cereals. It's really just like think they get a little more stale over time. Uh, right, but it's not going to kill you. Yeah. But it's not going to kill you. Bread, I'm I'm with your wife's family on that. I think bread is more of a, a visual inspection. Now, the, <laughs> right. if you see the mold, then yeah, you're out. Kind you, you of you got thing. a problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, for dairies, I really stick to that date if I can, and that's kind of. Well, here's the problem. No one smells milk mm. while it's still good. You only <laughs> ever smell it around the date. The problem is you have no reference. You have no uh, control in this experiment right. group. Right. So you're only you're going like, does milk always smell like this? Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, milk is something that I get a little bit if it's on the date. Then mm-hmm. I'll typically, I'll I'll drink it on the date, but not but a day after, right? Now let me ask you: in general, when it comes to liquids, do you? I personally have this compulsion to like shake everything. Ooh, because I feel like anything nope. liquid, there's some settling that goes on, <laughs> and so just to alleviate my my mental hang up. I always shake it. 
I mean, obviously not soda, but any kind of still liquid. I would just give it a little shake, some just 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 okay. for the heck of it. I'm with you. On, I'm with you on juice. Okay, I, I'm with you right. there. Right. Now milk. You shake milk. Not milk. Not, Wait, not not, vigor- mi- not vigorously. Not vigorously. I'll just give it a little like a shuka shuka, and then you so know. you got some bubbly milk when you pour it out. Yeah, exactly. Now here's the problem. You have I've awakened recently, the sediment. <laughs> I've recently, uh, and by recently I mean two years ago when I started keto, <laughs> uh, used more heavy cream in my coffee uh-huh. and such, and I would shake it like I do, shuka shuka, and it would and it would create little like solid pieces because heavy cream, sure, if you shake it enough, just becomes whipped cream. Yeah, milk loopies. It becomes solid. And so I thought all my heavy cream was going bad, <laughs> but it was really just because I was shaking it. You've been agitating. Yeah, don't shake dairy. What That's, are you doing? <laughs> so now I, uh, I I understand it does need to be shaken, shook, and I, and I understand <laughs> it's it's foolish to do it, but there's something still deep inside that when I take that heavy cream carton out of the, the fridge, you I don't even- You want to shake it. I don't give it a shooker. I just kind of <laughs> slosh it like once or twice <laughs> right before I pour it in. Just just because. You give thing, it like, a little swirl like a martini. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. Because like, I just feel like something's got to be settling in there. I don't know. It's well, I, I, the thing. If yeah. something is settling in there, I don't want it when I pour it. <laughs> Like, let it be at yeah. the bottom, and then yeah. just don't drink the bottom of it. But it's like, if stuff's congealed at the bottom, why would I want those floaters just <laughs> agitated <laughs> and around my... Okay, I can't talk about this now, anymore. This is now, this, this, this also comes into play when, like, if I'm making a coffee or a tea or something, when I mix the coffee and the cream and whatever sweetener I'm putting in there, I stir vigorously and lengthily <laughs> because I want to make sure that there is an even mixture that there's no hanging arounds of you know sweetener granulars so I shake I stir vigorously I shake vigorously and, and I picture you shaking vigorously like putting your hand over the top of the cup and just like a <laughs> like a flare bartender <laughs> I <clears throat> yeah I am um, you ever have kombucha? Uh, yes. So fresco that's uh, this, gone bad. <laughs> Basically, so it, the booch a, go on. The GTS, I think, is the brand. Uh, anyway, the kombucha comes in a glass bottle, and when I first got it, the first time I tried one, there's a ton of stuff that settles on the bottom uh, because it's just a fermented tea, and there's right. something called the mother, and some bacteria, and it's it's, it's yeah. all disgusting. And her brood <laughs> hangs out at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, right. and so I saw all the stuff on the bottom. I said, okay, well, clearly, this should be shaken because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. obviously a, a large amount of sediment. I did not realize there is also a little bit of carbonation or some kind of like yep. gaseous. Yep. It's a natural thing carbonation, I believe. And so I shook that glass bottle for a long time vigorously shake it shake 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 shake, until all that sediment was evenly distributed and then i went to open the bottle to enjoy my kombucha and boom everywhere just everywhere just it's it's sprayed everywhere 
So uh, yeah, so ever since then I have a hang up. I I, I want to shake, but I'm not sure when to shake. Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know what to do. So okay, yeah. well here's the thing. Uh, you are a compulsive shaker of yes. cups. I Admitted. have something to, if it's not too personal, to confess. Um, Please live on the air. The a weird thing that I am uh, working on. Oh, I'd love to hear this. I oh, now I'm thinking maybe we already talked about this. I don't know. Let's oh, well. find out. Go ahead. I love using Q-tips in my ears. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Okay. I am married to a med student at the moment. Uh, and I have learned that got turns out that Q-tip living turns out is not good for your ears. In fact, a lot of times you are compacting the wax further down past where your Q-tip is going and you are actually compacting that wax down there. Um, this, but I've always lived my life Q-tip full because I love <laughs> yes. the feeling of digging the Q-tip into my ear. It is right. fantastic. Well, here's, yes. let me tell you something. It has been eight months and two days since my last Q-tipping. Oh my goodness. I'm I don't know how you currently do Q-tip clean. So this whole year I have not... I have not used a Q-tip, but let me tell you oh, what. My word! The kind of urges that I've had to break <laughs> to break this. You're sticking a toothpick in there. It's like <laughs> there. I literally laid in bed last night, and I thought to myself, like, you know, like you touch the inside of your ear with your finger, and I was like, ah, it feels a little greasy. I just, I just need a Q-tip right now. And I thought about getting up out of bed in the middle of the night and breaking my Q-tip. <laughs> you turn on Abstinence. the bathroom light yeah. and your wife is just sitting there staring. What are you doing? What is that? Put that down. <sighs> Listen, uh, the medical professionals, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, segment of the population. Wonderful people. They do amazing things. <laughs> this whole uh, Q-tip nonsense is a, is a bowl of crock. <sighs> I know. Listen, I think it's real. You're, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to be able to put water while you're taking a shower. You're supposed to put water in there and then... Uh, use like a a washcloth finger to kind of clean out what you can with your finger. The the index finger is designed to be big enough to not uh, do a bunch of stuff, but get the water swish swashing around in there. This is a bunch of nonsense. Listen, I, I double Q-tip it every day. I put a Q-tip in each hand. I swab with the one end. I flip each one around. I swab with the other end. Yep. It's beautiful. Yeah, and, and I always think to my myself, dry, bone dry. Yeah. This was always something that I cared deeply about. I never wanted to cross-contaminate from my left to my right ear for Absolutely. whatever reason. Yeah. And I the idea it. of, have you ever like gone to Q-tip your ear and you forgot to put in the clean end of the Q-tip? And Ugh. you're like, oh, what have I done? Yes. I'm, I'm afraid I have the Ebola virus at that point. Yeah. Right, right. I just, oh, my left ear. No, that's why I put, I do a custom I do to a right Q- ear stuff. I do a Q-tip in each hand. So there's never a risk of, of measure. Two Q-tips a day, one for each year. The, and this was the life that I led until 2018, Q-tip this, free. This is deeply troubling. So you're telling me you're, you're eight months in now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your inner ear feels better or that there's some benefit now? <sighs> I can't tell. Like, I think, okay, full disclosure, everyone uh, who gets like a little bit squeamish Cover your ears for approximately five <laughs> seconds, starting 
now. Every once in a while these days, more of like a cornflake-sized wax buildup will just kind of flake out of my ear randomly. <laughs> and we're back. Thanks for coming back, folks. Uh, Steven almost died from a coughing fit. Corn- oh. That okay, don't terrible. repeat what I said in the five seconds. You oh, ruined sorry, it. Sorry, sorry. No, I, I didn't finish it. So, I, yeah, I just feel <sighs> like it, your body does kind of naturally get rid of some buildup. And I think I can hear just fine. So, I haven't had any ear issues. I just, honestly, I'm just not as happy. So, you haven't gotten used to it, even after eight months. Yeah, you'd think that I wouldn't crave it anymore, but... Like a man who quit Diet Pepsi. <laughs> Still want it back. This is in response to the last podcast we did. I texted Stephen oh, and I wanted right. to say like a small... Uh, I listened to our podcast about once after they get posted. And yes. I listened to myself talking about Tomb Raider. And I yes. had um, a thought that I might have been a little hypocritical. And this is why. Um, I spent a lot of time and we, we talked about how, uh, Laura Croft, we didn't see a training sequence in a lot of her almost special agent kind of skills mm-hmm. and found a little difficult to believe. I do have to say that I give, for example, in Sahara, I give, I think men a little more latitude when it comes to like Dirk as a, I mean, I guess he was in the army for a little bit, but for the most part, he right. basically dives down and recovers, um, you know, treasures from the sea. And the fact right. that he's basically the most skilled special agent kind of guy I've ever seen uh, in that movie, and it can fight to this day a bunch of things is a little preposterous. And I didn't have, I didn't even think about it. So what I'm saying is. I think there might be a little bit of instilled gender bias in me where I've seen a bunch of The Rock and different things. And because he's muscly, I have no problems with saying like, oh, yeah, he should be able to lift up that car and throw it. So, yeah, there might be a little bit of like a little growth that needs to happen in me, a little bit of bias that needs to be corrected because I may have been a little hard on Laura Croft on her skill set. Uh, than I would have been on a man. I think there's just a small difference in in my uh, acceptance level there. So that is what I thought while listening to it. Go, man, I'm kind of yeah. hard on her because I didn't see a training montage, whereas I think I would rationalize a bunch of uh, male hero. So we watched the just-released Mission Impossible movie, Fallout. And I didn't realize that you were a big Mission Impossible fan until recently. But I, too, uh, love mm. all the Mission Impossible movies and find that they're pretty polarizing as a genre or yes. as like a, as a series. Like, I ask some people, they're like, hey, there's a new Mission Impossible movie out, just thinking that they're universally loved. And people would be like, meh, I don't believe it. I know. I There yeah. are a lot of people that I know who just haven't seen them. Like or they, they feel just, so. Or like, the, the oh, thing, I remember seeing the first or second one, but I haven't yeah. seen any of the the last four. Which I will say, one and two, especially one, does not give you a good idea of what to expect from a current Mission Impossible movie. But they also say like, 
you know, it's just unbelievable action. You know, that it, it's so fakey in the, you know, the things that mm-hmm. they're able to do, Tom Cruise especially. And I'm like, this is one of the few series where he's doing all this stuff, like, in real life. Like, he does all his own stunts. And as we might talk about later, like, in the Rogue Nation one, he literally hangs on the side of an airplane as it's taking off. Like, right. in real life. Like, he did that stunt for real. Right. If you watch all the bonus features and behind the scenes of that <laughs> stuff. And so, to me, like, that makes it more exciting like knowing all these crazy things like that he has done them right anyway that's just me but i did um you know people call them action movies but i sent you this youtube video and this was a link uh listener matt glover sent me so thank you matt thanks Matt. yes it was uh lessons from a screenplay is the channel but it was how mission impossible is basically a large part of these movies are executing the perfect heist. And right. we have talked before, we love heist movies. I love the Oceans movies and stuff. But I think that is actually what I love about it. I mean, I, I love watching action and all that kind of stuff. But that whole heist idea and setup and, you know, overcoming these challenges and then actually pulling it off and the tension, like, I love that kind of stuff. And every Mission Impossible is based around it. And the, and the two ones that they compare and contrast is rogue nation and the original mission impossible <laughs> it's even like 50 minutes into the movie it's right. the high scene <laughs> and like there's this right. very here's predictable formula here's our, yeah. yeah here's our team yeah. yeah here's our team here are the challenges and here's how you know they talk about the plan but in the first mission impossible they don't and so they reveal it in you know throughout and so i i just love that kind of stuff and i you know i get it if you don't like heist stuff uh, you're wrong but anyway <laughs> i i <laughs> love that kind of stuff so Right. You should go watch it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. That um, was a really cool video. Let's yeah. talk let's talk uh spoiler free about yes. Fallout from uh thirty thousand feet. Yes. Did you like My, it? I really enjoyed it. It was really fun to watch. I think in the in the scheme of Mission Impossible movies, which we could talk about in the top five, I think it's pretty high on the list. Mm-hmm. I really liked Henry Cavill as his character <laughs> right uh with the mustache and all that ruined uh, justice league did you did you think while watching this movie looking at henry cavill's mustache that <laughs> i thought to myself again and again great move not changing anything for this movie for justice yes. league like good on yes. you and good on what is it paramount to basically be like yeah, listen yeah, yeah. Don't we're not check. we're not going to CGI in a mustache or put a fake mustache on him because no, no. Uh, this is going to be a lot bigger movie than Justice League. Yes, and yeah, that mustache was great. He was and rocking was, that mustache. He was rocking that mustache, and so uh, this is not a spoiler, but because this gif is everywhere. But there is a, a fight scene with Henry Cavill and and. Uh, it's Tom Cruise and another guy, but he, <laughs> Henry Cavill like starts walking towards the guy he's about to punch, and he does this thing with his arms. What do they call it? Is they call like an uh, bicep it, reload or something? Yes, that Henry Cavill reloads his biceps, and uh, there's all these gifs of him doing it. And like for somehow, if you watch the gif over and over of the movie, his beard seems to like darken a little bit. Yes, and and his shirt like grows a pocket. <laughs> it's yes. just amazing like two second thing of where he like 
I don't know how to describe it. He just like cocks his arms, basically. Yeah, it's uh, a real Laurel and Yanny uh, <laughs> meme we have on our hands. <laughs> yes, but it's amazing, and I love it, and uh, I think he's great uh, yep. in this movie. Agreed. Uh, so there's that. I almost felt like there were moments where there was too much intensity. Like there, there were a couple times... And I wouldn't want them to lessen it, but just for me personally, I was sitting there. I was like, "All right, I think Are we're you talking think, about like stunts and action scenes as being too intense. Are you talking like the high stakes storyline? No, 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 no. The high stakes that was great. The actual the length and intensity of action and chase and suspense and some of the scenes. Like, I, there's one in particular we can talk about in a second, but like. I was just like, wow, that was awesome. Whew, okay, I think we, we need like a palate cleanser, uh, like five-minute scene of them talking. You pull up Fail Army on your phone <laughs> real yeah, quick. Like, uh, all right, we got to take a break here. And then they just went back into it, and I was like, wow, this is like a really long, sustained, intense action sequence. And it was awesome. Like it was right. really well done, and it's enjoy- enjoyable to watch. I was like, I must be getting old, man. I need a break. <laughs> This movie is a little too intense for me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so that was uh, that was interesting. Um, And then in general, I don't know what the fallout stands for in the title, but it doesn't matter. So, oh right, (laughs) I didn't even think about that. I can only assume it was nuclear. Well, we will related, but we will discuss more of the plot uh, after our people who want spoiler-free versions get out, but. Uh, from a high angle, I had a hard time following the plot of this movie. Yeah. Um, as far as there are a lot of entities at play, so you're thinking like, okay, someone CIA, MI6, IMF, um, mm. a syndicate. Like, what are you? Uh, splinter Cell of Syndicate. I had. I finished the movie, and while. I thought some of the action scenes were some of the best in the franchise. Yeah. I had some of my joy was tempered because I spent a lot of the time, like I watched it in theaters with my wife and we walked out going, okay, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> Who was, the, what was, I couldn't figure out everyone's motivations and the fact yeah. that twists aren't as enjoyable if I wasn't quite tracking with you before the twist. This, if the right. setup was a little convoluted, and that's how I felt about this movie. Great action, but there were so many entities at play, and I felt like some of their motivations uh, didn't make sense for what they were actually doing. Right. That it kind yeah. of tempered it tempered the movie slightly for me. And I, I know that you watch action movies and just turn off... Uh, a part of your brain you go into no, like rem no, mode no. and you just go like entertain <laughs> no, no. me dilate my pupils <clears throat> no no i i want i want a good story too and and honestly i mean i remember back to the first mission impossible that plot was hard to follow especially just on your first viewing it's right like, wait a minute who's backstabbing who and right and all this kind of stuff and so but i do but that that plot was complicated but upon like multiple viewings you're like okay it's it's an airtight story it just takes a while to grasp and i think you're right this one has kind of some unexplained motivations 
right. like you're saying. Well, and, I will uh, ask you a few questions about the motivations at the end of this podcast because I actually okay. do have like a couple questions that maybe you do know and then we'll clear things up for me. But I did a lot of research after this movie to try to figure out, okay, what did I watch? <laughs> How does this make <laughs> yeah. sense? Yeah. But can we talk about a couple of the action uh, sequences that are not pivotal to the plot? They just happen pretty early on and part of the movie. Okay. Yeah, and, and along with that, I feel like, so the movie opens, like the opening credit scene shows cutscenes from the rest of the movie. And I don't know when Mission Impossible started this practice because I went back and watched one of the older ones, mm-hmm. and they did it then too. So I don't know if it was with three or four. It might have but started back in the TV show. Did it? it might, that might think, have been something they took directly from the TV show is showing the, I don't think, what's going to happen. I don't know. I think the first Mission Impossible movie, I think it just showed like the fuse being like going. Oh, it might I could not be wrong. have had that. Okay. But anyway, as I was sitting there watching it, I was like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, here it. to see the movie. <laughs> I don't, you already I don't have wanna, me. I don't want to see the cliff notes before the movie. Like <laughs> I'm reading the book. I'm reading the whole book. Like I'm committed. I'm sitting here. You know, it's, it's not like, I don't you were, know, you're I, not I, on the fence. You bought your ticket. Yeah, right. Like, and it felt weird. Like I don't want to see any of this because if I see Tom Cruise in an environment and I know it has to happen in the movie, but earlier there's a scene where he might whatever die or not. Like I, it's already spoiled because I know he still has to do this other scene later. Steven. Hey, what's that? Tom Cruise ain't dying in these movies. I know, but still, he'll be like, Ethan Hunt forever. <clears throat> forever. He'll go into <laughs> Liam Neeson taken three stage before they pull his <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. body away from this. <clears throat> But even that, like you see, I don't know. I think they show too much. I, yeah. I don't like yeah, how much I'm, they show. I'm with you. Opening. You're right. Yeah. You you had us. We're already here. Right. You don't need to, to tease this movie out. I'm here for the two and a half hours. And maybe use that time to set up this crazy plot that you are trying to portray. You know what I mean? Like right. show us some stuff like documents <laughs> and other things that we don't see in the rest of the movie. So, anyway. um, so this movie, That's I thought. believe, is two and a half hours long. Yes, long. Um, quick, uh, if it's not too personal, <laughs> were you able to go the whole movie without a bathroom break? <sighs> no, I, I had to get up and go because you ain't able to do this podcast without a bathroom break. So I figured. Listen, I, <laughs> it was a. Uh, I was really trying to play my cards right, and I think I did it successfully. It was after all the Paris stuff. And before all the ending action sequences, I, I I found the break where they were just kind of like talking about what they were doing, and I was like, okay, now's the time. You mean the part and where think, they're explaining the plot? You're like, no, nah, <laughs> nah. right, exactly. I don't I need like, this. I, yeah, I get it. Okay, well, um, thank you. I thought um, there is a skydiving scene. Oh wait, it's called something else. Not skydiving. Le- low okay. altitude, low opening. Lay low. Maybe is what it's called. I no, don't know. I don't, or maybe I don't, it's high altitude, low. I don't. Halo. It's called Halo jumps. That's what <laughs> okay, it's called. Like high altitude, like low game. opening. Right. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And okay, the way. Okay, so that scene. There's also a motorcycle chase, as well. And I thought that the camera work on these scenes were fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm not sure when there is a motorcycle chase, Tom Cruise, no helmet, uh, riding against traffic in Paris, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. around the Arc de Triomphe, that I literally thought, like, how are you filming this? How is like right. <laughs> it's not you know a lot of times it's like close up rig shot and then you go back and it's like behind you know it's kind of set up from that Jason Bourne jerky camera thing this is like yes. a smooth crane showing him weaving between traffic that you know maybe cars were put in in post but sure. I I was spellbound by the movie magic of this scene. I thought yes. that motorcycle chase was maybe one of my favorite motorcycle chases in any movie ever. It was, yeah, it was really good. And thinking back, like, because there have been car chases in past Mission Impossible movies, I do think this was one of the best. All right. Well, the rest of the stuff is going to have spoilers, so we will save it for after the top five. But real quick, we're going to rate Mission Impossible Fallout on a scale of zero to five Henry Cavill mustaches. Mm. Mm. Yes. And mustaches have a lot of hairs, so you, there's there's a wide range of <laughs> of decimals that you can do. But I think is it, is it my turn to go first? I think it is. Yes, but before you rate yeah. r- rate it, rank it, yes. rate it. Yes, I yes. have a quick. Uh, are we rating this compared to the garbage movies we typically watch for this podcast, <laughs> or like just like? Because I feel like in some ways I have to rate this against like normal movies, right? So I I think what I'm going to keep going back to in these ratings is how much I would recommend someone watch it. Okay, okay, excellent. And in, in conjunction with how much I enjoyed it. Those two factors I think is what, yeah, I'm going to go for. Okay, so fantastic. I'm going to rate Mission Impossible Fallout four mustaches. Now, understandably, if you don't like the Mission Impossible movies, then you're not going to like this one. But you're also a terrible person if you don't like Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> but so we're open to all opinions. <laughs> we're open to all opinions, this even, one. Wrong, even wrong ones. Uh, so that's why I don't, I'm not going to give it higher than that. So I understand it's not for everybody. But if you enjoy action movies, if you enjoy heist movies, if you're a Mission Impossible fan, or even an espionage, secret agent type uh, anything, and even, uh, you know, while the plot can be convoluted at times and a little confusing, uh, there is an actual story here as well. And there's some emotional investment later in the movie with Tom Cruise and another significant character. So I give it four mustaches. Ooh, okay. I, I'm going to give this movie three and a half mustaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I am choosing to rate this on a scale different from our typical scale like for example if it's almost like this is like a six to ten star range is really where like it feels a different class so i'm Mm. not saying that this is a better movie than sahara and i believe i gave sahara four stars did you (laughs) that's terrible okay like this is not guilty pleasure bad movie nate like if we're doing that then i'd be like this is a five star bad movie kind of thing right right right. Uh, this is i'm giving this three and a half on like the normal like i'm comparing it to other good movies and it is definitely enjoyable i the i thought the characters were great the 
slightly convoluted plot hurt me a little bit, but the action is fantastic. Fantastic. Like, if you like action movies, Mm -hmm. go see this movie in theaters. That's right. Yes. Stop it. Like, go go now. And then come back (laughs) and listen to the rest of the podcast. That's it. That's what you got to do. You can listen to it on the way there, and then as soon as you get in your car for your drive back. But Exactly. Yeah. Listen to this during your pee break. <laughs> okay. And on that note, so our top five for today is uh, an epic top five. This is going to be this is challenging, and it is meaningful in all the right ways. So it is our top five Mission Impossible movies, which there are six total. Is that correct? Right, I I ranked all six. Is that cool? Or yeah, yeah. Did you? So, okay. so did I. Okay, good, so good, did good, I. Good. So this is great. So this is a, this is the top six, uh, all the Mission Impossible movies, and then as a bonus ranking, you had mentioned uh, the top demasking scenes because if you're a Mission Impossible fan, you know there's always some kind of face maker right. scene when someone's wearing a mask, and so I think we should uh, do that as well after the top five. Now, fantastic. I feel like. I don't know, to, to maybe, should we just like list them and then we can talk about where we landed with each of them? Yeah, let's, um, right, let's just list all of them from worst to best and then yes. we'll kind of discuss each other's list because, right, there are like only it, yeah. six of them, so it's not like we'll get right. to number one and be like, well, what's he going to pick? No suspense <laughs> Right, there. exactly, exactly, exactly. And now I did list these... I tried to be objective. So yes, how my enjoyment of these movies uh, plays into this, but also I think importance in the series and just objectively good. Uh, like I tried to actually play that. Like this isn't completely subjective. I tried to like actually look at these Ooh. in a uh, in a crit- critical way. Wonderful. So and anyway, I, yeah. I also have to I also have to say in this top top six list, yes. like. Let it be known, I love all Mission Impossible movies. So if I have something ranked fourth, it does not mean I did not like the movie. I like all of them. So this is like choosing like which of your kids you like better. But you but you love all your kids. (laughs) Sure. I think. I'm not a dad. I don't know how that works. Hey Steven, if it's not too personal, can you rate your kids based on which ones you (laughs) All right, let's do this. Okay. Do you want to go first? I'll, I'll go first, sure. Okay. All right, number six, Mission Impossible 2. Mm-hmm. Number five, Rogue Nation. Mm. Number four, the original Mission Impossible. Number three, Mission Impossible Fallout, the one we just saw. Number two, Ghost Protocol. And my favorite Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible 3, the one where he has a wife. Whew. Man. We agree on exactly one uh, as far as ranking here. All right. Give me your list. Or do you want to discuss my list list first? Let me list mine and then then we can discuss it. So in my last spot, number six, Ghost Protocol. (sighs) Number five, Mission Impossible 2. We have that similar places. Number four is Mission Impossible 3 with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm Mm-hmm. My third one is the same as yours. I put Fallout at number three. Mm-hmm. Number two is Mission Impossible 1, the original. Mm-hmm. 
And I put my top one as Rogue Nation. Ooh. Now, I don't know if you got a chance to go back and watch any previous Mission Impossibles before we ranked this. But the one that I remembered the least was Ghost Protocol. I remember that there was the Burj Khalifa and he's climbing right. on the windows on the outside. But I didn't remember much else of the movie. And so I went back and watched that one. And upon rewatching, and again, I might feel differently if I rewatch the other ones, but I remember those pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Ghost Protocol did not feel like a good movie. Mm. Um, the, 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 the female lead, the, the co-star to Tom Cruise, her character, Jeremy Renner, they just didn't feel like strong characters to me. And the villain, that guy, I did not feel terrorized by him, terrified by him, or that he was a strong villain and okay. so that's why i put the at the bottom okay you like I'm, I'm gonna do i'm gonna do a little give and take on this yes i may have ranked ghost protocol too high i have not <laughs> i have not Fair seen enough. it recently but i i watched all the trailers again i watched through all of like old stunts from old movies right um that move like ghost protocol i liked the yeah, the bad guy was not great. So that really does bump it down a little bit. The bad guy is blah. Because I feel the, like the, a good bad guy in a Mission Impossible movie is half the movie, honestly. Right. But and the, when you got like the ghost yeah. protocol, like the the disavowed part of it and the fact like the whole Kremlin scene and the whole the Kremlin like, scene was cool. I think yeah. Benji uh, started really his star, yes. his star started shining. In Ghost yes. Protocol, I thought the Burj yes. Khalifa stunt was one, if not my favorite, of all. Like, it's the climbing great. on that mountain and the I have liked the basically outrunning a sandstorm, not outrunning it, but running away from it as a sandstorm sweeps across Dubai. Yeah, did you? Did was there any sandstorms when you were there? No, not that I. Okay, no, I'm just curious. Because it looked um, ama- like that would be amazing to witness. I think right, but, that would be awesome. But yeah. no, it was not around. I think Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation blend a little bit in my mind. But no, what I no, can't... no, 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 no. Uh, okay, <laughs> listen. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. Okay, a finish it. Rogue finish Nation. Your Rogue Nation. I think maybe it suffers from the. It begins the syndicate plot. It's the yes. same director as Fallout. It begins a plot that maybe I just don't care. Like this bad guy, he's he's cool. He's better than Ghost Protocol guy. But I don't know. Like to be honest, that airplane stunt didn't do it for me. I oh. I think the underwater scene. Yes. Uh, uh, the heist part. It's not as fun. Like when you compare it to mi- the first Mission Impossible, I love the lowered into the room thing i the think the wa- room, yeah. i think watching someone lose oxygen with a, an oxygen level thing not nearly as exciting for me but i will give rogue nation this i believe that rebecca ferguson who plays i, that I don't character. know that yeah. whatever character that is yeah she may be the like she's the kind of woman that like stands up against ethan hunt in a really fun way she is awesome. Yeah. So I found the reason why I put Rogue Nation on top is I actually like, really like him as a villain. Uh, Lane, I believe, is, is his character. Solomon name. Lane. 
Solomon Lane. But his like his voice, he speaks in that soft, like menacing tone. That they have to amplify he, so that we can hear. <laughs> he seems so ice cold and vindictive and evil that I just believe him. Like, I think he was on the level of, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman was the best. This might be controversial. I think he's probably the best villain in a Mission Impossible no, movie. I rated Mission Impossible 3 the, my my favorite, so right. I am. So I, I think he's he's way up there, yeah. Uh, but Lane, I feel, is like a very close second. And when he is actually captured at the end of Rogue Nation in that glass box uh-huh. and the, the plot that they used to, to capture him, I feel was like just so satisfying uh, to see him get his own and when he's in that glass thing and the smoke starts coming up and they all just walk away into the shadows as a team Mm -hmm. i don't know i just find that awesome and then there's a there's another car scene in rogue nation uh, where tom cruise and uh, the benji character is like driving in a car and there's some comedic moments in there that i think benji really shines there as like a comedic relief sidekick at what part um, is an action scene too funny because I feel like Rogue Nation gets into that those muddy waters a little bit where Benji yeah. makes so many quips in that when they go backwards yeah. off of those stairs and like, are you yeah. wearing your seatbelt? And he's always got a quip. That in some sure. ways, it takes away some of the intensity. Whereas I feel like Fallout, they had some quips in it, but during the actual action scene, I was on the edge yeah. of my seat. No no jokes yeah. there. Yeah, it was, it was well played. Well, okay. Wait, wait, th- hold, on, hold on. Can I can I just yeah. say why Mission Impossible 3 is the best? Sure, yes. G- going from 1 and 2, and even since then a little bit, I like Ethan Hunt when he J.J. Abrams takes the helm in the third movie. And right. Ethan Hunt has, uh, is it Michelle Monaghan? Is that what was her name? His wife sure. in that yes. movie. And him living that double life of like at a party and he dumps out the ice to go like get a mission. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that like, it's not a James Bond thing. He actually cares about his wife deeply. And the fact when she gets taken and kidnapped and Philip Seymour Hoffman's evil, like vindictive self and the whole like bomb in the head I like the fact of Ethan Hunt basically begging for him not to shoot his wife, who right. you find out is a mask, and it's not really his wife. Right. That that yeah. kind of emotion, like him kind of starting to cry, like, please don't do, like going from like being angry, all of a sudden dropping that facade and begging, like, please, please don't do this thing. Like, yeah. please don't. The, that... And it still has all the cool uh, him, you know, in the Philip Seymour Hoffman mask. It has all right. of like the cars and the actions and them going, sneaking into the Vatican and climbing right. over walls and doing all that. It has also an action scene of him running that during that bridge scene of like the helicopter attack and him running down the street and getting right. blown off his feet into a car side window, which is not flashy compared to the other movies, but is so visceral in the nature yeah. of him getting thrown off into this. Like, I think that movie has it all. You're changing my opinion on it a little bit. I agree. And I remember um, 
because Philip Seymour Hoffman was just so sadistic in that movie. Mm. Like he does like the light bulb thing where like he makes her put a, like a CFL light bulb in her mouth or something. Yeah. And says, you know, if you, you know, if I punch you or whatever and it breaks, like the glass will go into your lungs and you'll just slowly die. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is. Right. Well, and, so, and, yeah. and they capture him, him and they're like, like they can't break him. Right. But like as the audience, you want them to because you like sense like this guy is just the pits. Yeah, that's true. That That is excellent. And, and I also, ability, yeah. I also think that that movie lays a lot of groundwork that some of the payoff is in this movie too. Agreed. You can you can beat me out on that. No, I like no, to be I right. like to be edited there just in case. Oh no 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 no! I think that that's fair to say. Okay. And um, the whole like inserting the little like pill in their heads and it can like kill them at any moment. Yeah. Which we see in the opening scene where he you know Tom Cruise tries to rescue that agent. Yep. And she dies like a second before he can defibrillate her. Like, that's a pretty, you know, visually, it's like nothing, but you feel the suspense and intensity because you know there's like a ticking clock. And And then he has to go home to his wife and like lay next to her and she's like, how is things? He was like, it was a long conference. (laughs) And he just had like, yeah, his (sighs) protege that I... Okay, here's what I will... I will stand by Mission Impossible 3 as my number one, but... I'm starting to feel like my ghost protocol is too high. I I feel like we settled on Fallout as number three. I like it. Yes, yes. I'm willing to move my... I haven't seen the original for a while. Right. And the problem is, like, the the original is... It's dated. It's dated, but it's an important Mission Impossible because it just sets up the world and, you know, Tom Cruise's foray into it. And there's some really great characters in it. So... I, you know, I, I wouldn't go back and watch it. So, you know, maybe it's too high in my ranking. I'm willing to move Rogue Nation up, though. Maybe that, maybe Rogue Nation. I don't know. Maybe tough. Ghost it's Protocol tough. and Rogue Nation. Like, I can't, I can't understate how great Rebecca Ferguson is. And yeah, we will have. Really uh, now we're going to discuss once we get to the spoiler <laughs> moments some more. Yes. So so real quick, I, I think, yes, we can contend about these rankings for a while probably. Um, but I do want to talk about the demasking scene because I want to see if, yes. you, if you have. So so in Mission Impossible, you know, there's always this trope of someone's disguised as someone else. And every movie has at least one mm-hmm. scene of this. And so I have one uh, amongst all the Mission Impossible movies that really stands out that yep. I was like, I-, I had no idea that was about to happen and yep. it was really epic. And I want to know if it's the same one yep. that you might be talking about. Yep. Is it in Mission Impossible 2? Yes. Is it the scene? I break <laughs> <where> his jaw. <laughs> Is it that one? You wait have a, a minute, different one in Mission Impossible 2. I have a different, I have oh a different one. Goodness. So that, that one really is... Excellent. Oh, I. you know what? I forgot about that one. So that's the one. The one I'm talking about is where whatever the bad guy that Ethan Hunt right. puts is in his mask. And then he puts the right. bad guy who he has duct taped his mouth in an yeah. Ethan Hunt mask. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah, bad yeah. guy like shoots him in the leg and does yeah. all sort of things. And then like he notices that the, like the finger has been cut. So like after he kills him, he like pulls out and he realizes it's not Ethan hunt. He killed his own henchman. And then right. it cuts to 
only, what only John Woo can do, a slow motion of what looks like the bad guy running out and putting the yeah. virus, the canister in his pocket. And yes. he pulls off the mask while running and a 2000 remix of Mission Impossible theme <laughs> comes on in like a vom, 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 Yeah, yeah. And it is utter coolness. It is pretty great. So that... Okay, that, tell, that tell me yours. Might be the best one, and the reason why he knows it's the guy is because his pinky is cut or whatever. Yes, because that he cut it with a cigar cutter earlier. Yes, that that is that might be the best one. The one I was thinking of because they actually do three in this movie. They do the one where Tom Cruise impersonates the older doctor yep. to fool that other guy. They do that one at the end, and there's one in the middle where the bad guy disguises himself as Tom Cruise. Yep, and Tom Cruise's girlfriend or whatever. Thinks she's escaping, yep, and runs into who she thinks is Tom Cruise, and totally confesses, and the bad guy discovers that she's you know playing a double right. side here, and he like just gets super. You know, I honestly thought it was Tom Cruise up until the point where he gets like super angry and like tears the face off. Yeah, and that moment was like, ah, oh, you she just ruined messed it, it all right. up. She messed it all up, and he did. He played it super smart in tricking her like that. Yeah, he told her to like stay put, right? Like I think, right, right. As Tom Cruise, he was like, "No, listen, like you can't run. Like you have to stay a little bit. I'll come for you." Sort of thing. He played it so well, like the character played Tom Cruise so well, and said things that Tom would have said, or Ethan Hunt would have said, and like that was epic. So I feel like Mission Impossible Two can be problematic at times, but. Those two face maker scenes and all the stuff that happens in the bunker, like you were saying, it's pretty great. Right. It is. Pretty great. The, I would, uh, yeah. I would say, yeah, watch Mission Impossible 2 if you like a, I mean, it's a 2000s movie through and through. That, There's that enough slow-mo and dubs yeah, in that yeah. movie to. That motorcycle chase scene, though, is pretty great, though. Yep. When he gets um, off the side of the motorcycle and yes. kind of like surfs on the, I don't know how yes. that's possible, to be honest. I don't know. But. John Woo. The director, that's yeah. all I can say. Woo. And there's also, I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes, but they're, when they're fighting on the beach, which is honestly a great fight scene uh, between Ethan Hunt and the bad guy, there's a scene where the bad guy jumps on top of Tom Cruise and there's a knife that comes within Yeah, I've seen like a, a bunch of behind the scenes footage on yes. that knife. And <laughs> like the weird like rope and like harness system that the knife was on yep. so it could only go down far enough. And like the fact that it touched his eyelashes, like it actually did that. Like they filmed it like that. Like that's intense, man. I am not a, a huge like I love practical stunts, but why did yes. that have to be practical? Like that feels like the easiest like knife one scene, eyeball second scene. Put them together in a CG way. Oh well. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's Tom Cruise's Yeah, he wanted to really have a knife in his eye. So, <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going to play the spoiler sound effect. Spoilers are coming. Spoilers are coming. I know we only got like 8 minutes. <laughs> so I, I got to get out of here. What's one or two spoilers that you just want to mention to, to those who have seen it? Okay. So, uh, right off the bat, Henry Cavill's bad. I can finally say, like, but <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. You kind of knew that in the trailer. They show him, like, chasing, like, them chasing each other in helicopters, and they even right. cut it together as if they're fighting in that bathroom scene, which, by the way, right. that bathroom fight scene, excellent. Yeah, with with excellent. the gun reload. But yes. what they do in this movie is they... So he's the bad guy. He's John Lark. Um, right. They 
Rebecca Ferguson is in this, and mm-hmm. the the his ex-wife from Mission Impossible 3. Right. And we are meant to believe that she has kind of moved on in hiding and now has a new husband. Right. Um, so what was difficult is like, I've been rooting for Ethan Hunt and I think Ilsa is her name? Yeah. To get yes. together right. because they're great for each other. The problem is that I, I remember Mission Impossible 3 and I was like, wait, don't you have like a love your life kind of thing? And they try to solve this by basically showing like she's moved on and they give like a baton pass like, all right, you may now have romantic interests with her. How did you feel like they handled that? Because I feel like I thought they were going to just kill off his wife, to be honest. So I felt like there was a expected level of awkwardness between Elsa's character (laughs) and Tom Cruise's ex-wife. Like I liked there was some tension there and there's even a scene where Tom Cruise's ex-wife is doing something and Elsa's like, oh, I like her. And like, so that was kind of cool to hear. Like there's an acknowledgement like, okay, she's a significant right. person. In Tom they Cruise's weren't life. petty about it at all, which was they great. They weren't petty about it. I did feel like her new husband who's working for this like health organization, there's this interaction between him and Tom Cruise at the end. And he, he mentions the guardian angel bit uh-huh. that is implied. Like um, Henry Cavill says that he's, Tom Cruise's wife, guardian angel, but in like a menacing way. And when the new husband said that, I was like, "Uh, are they setting it up? Like I was expecting a scene where the husband was going to like have her at like knife to the throat. And Tom Cruise was going to have to like rescue his ex-wife because this guy's actually on the inside. Like this husband is not squeaky clean. And so I was kind of expecting that and that never happened, but that may come into play later. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. They seem to, because yeah, he he came across like as said. real like a little menacing. Well, that's husband. because you saw him as the bad game maker in Hunger Games, and you're used to him having his beard <laughs> manicured into a, a curl. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I love the helicopter chase. Mm-hmm. So that was really epic. That is a scene where Tom Cruise like admittedly doesn't know how to fly a helicopter, uh-huh. and like they actually say it. Benji's like, "You don't know how to fly a helicopter," and he's like, "Shut up!" You know, and he's it doing it. But there's just this. I just want to, this last moment. I just want to point out is when Henry Cavill is unaware that Tom Cruise is chasing them in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment when Henry Cavill like looks out the window, sees Tom Cruise chasing him, and he does this like shrug and this look like, "Well, all right." <laughs> and then he picks up this huge fifty cal like yes. Tommy gun. <laughs> out the window and like that moment was so gratifying just the look from henry cavill going like well i guess i gotta shoot this guy now (laughs) like uh, i really enjoyed that yeah let me tell you how speaking of all the improbable things in this movie the fact that tom cruise could chase down someone in a helicopter somehow ram his helicopter into their helicopter and it's dying and these two guys and these two guys survive Two helicopter crashes into like yeah. the mountains, yeah. and those helicopters—they don't just crash in the snow; they crash in the snow, roll through, hit each other, fall down a rock chasm, wedge down the rock chasm, <laughs> fall through right. that, tumble down the cliff, yeah. and it's like, well, they—they yeah. they had their seatbelt on the whole time. I don't know. Yeah, like, that was a little. Yeah, it, that was a little too far. There are a lot of crazy things, but that was bonkers. The survival <laughs> on that helicopter crash was. And like the rotors are yeah. fly, flying everywhere, and it's like, yeah. he's fine. Yeah, that was a little too much. I think 
I agree. And I do feel they like... They just kept crashing. That helicopter crash was oh, like 15 minutes of them just like crashing <laughs> more. And so there was also... So in the final scene, like they're hanging off this cliff, literally. And there's, you know, there's the cable coming uh-huh. down. And, you know, they have a fight scene on the cliff, hand to hand, because you got to have that. And yeah. that's, you know, I enjoyed that. And I was waiting for like, what is going to end this conflict like how is the bad guy gonna die because you knew he had to die somehow right and they're both hanging off the cliff and tom cruise like yanks the cable that has the hook on it and then it like hooks him in the head henry cavill and he falls to his doom and i I was a little unsatisfied with that end Mm. to him i feel like yeah i'm with you i feel like that could have been a more epic end they used up all the time in the helicopter crash i didn't have enough fighting time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they still fought like they still had the hand-to-hand combat on it but i was like you know I, that's fine like i know you got to do it some way and it hasn't been done that way in previous movies but like i feel like there's a yeah, they could have done that a little better because henry cavill was a really cool bad guy like i would have liked to have seen yeah something different well here's the thing steven i need i have to go in literally three minutes but <laughs> yes. but i'm going to ask you a couple questions if you don't know say i don't know but i need you to okay. f- clear up some things for me are you ready yes yes go ahead okay what is the point of breaking solomon lane out if he's just going to die in the explosion why did the what are they called the brotherhood the apostles the apostles the apostles. why did they want to break him out they already had the plutonium and the bombs I guess because he's one of their masterminds. Like I thought he was just like a big figure in it, so they wanted him out. Just like his know. morale. Okay. Um, yeah. Did Henry Cavill as John Lark actually want him out, or, or did Henry Cavill actually believe in his manifesto about like with great suffering comes great peace? No, I feel like he was a total business guy. He just wanted money, and he was doing a job. He feels so like he, a solo contract. So he wasn't really like a, a believer like John Lark. No. He was just like playing the role of John Lark. Yeah, and I think he was in it for the money. What was the CIA's role, and like, what did they want? They wanted the plutonium back, but they didn't know who John Lark back. was. Right, and they didn't trust anybody, clearly, because there's a scene where the lady's like, I don't trust any of you now. You're all under arrest. And so, so I think that lady just didn't like the IMF. And so she just wanted to get them all, like rope them all in. So, but the plutonium was never going to get exchanged for Solomon Lane, correct? It was already in Nepal or whatever. Right. Yeah. The the White Widow uh, lady was working for the CIA? (laughs) Yes. No, MI6. Okay, the the guys that shot at were going to shoot that lady cop in Paris. Were those the White Widow's henchmen? Yes. Or were those apostles? White Widow henchmen. Okay. The <laughs> the Alec Baldwin was never bad, right? Correct. He was always good. He was just convinced that Ethan Hunt was a bad guy because of Henry Cavill. Was he ever convinced that Ethan Hunt was a bad guy or was that all part of the plan to sting Superman? That's a good question. I think it could go either way. Okay. Uh, the Apostles' plan, was was it to hurt Ethan Hunt or was it to poison the, the watering hole of a billion people? What was poison their... Poison the watering hole. So uh, yeah. they never wanted to blow up a city. They always wanted to do that, poison the water of like yeah, Asia. Yeah, ma- mass... Genocide, yeah. yeah. But why Why did they need Ethan Lane to take the fall for everything? Why couldn't they just say, we're the apostles, we, we blew this up? 
I don't know. Maybe they saw him as like a significant enemy and wanted to like get rid of him. Okay. I wasn't quite sure if Solomon Lane was more uh, uh, worried about like breaking Ethan Hunt or whether he was going to mm. worried about the whole bomb thing. He His probably uh, probably saw those as equal. <laughs> he probably wanted to mess with Tom Cruise and also kill the world. So Excellent. All right. Those are all the questions I have. <laughs> well, this is I fun. need to run. <laughs> yeah, you got to go. All right. Talk soon. All right. See ya. <laughs>